welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, you wonderful human beings, and welcome back to episode 36 of the Simply Fit podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you guys today, and I hope that you enjoyed the last episode on how to navigate social scenarios. I've got some really great feedback, and I'm super pleased that it went down so well. So if you haven't already listened to it, and you do have plenty of socials on the horizon, I'd highly encourage you to listen to it right after you've listened to today's episode. And today, I have some pretty awesome topics for you. But before we get into this, as you are listening to today's episode, EHC, the online health and fitness coaching service I provide, is officially one years old. It was this past Friday on the 4th of June, and I can't begin to express how pleased I am with how the first year has gone, and I'm so happy about how many lives we've been able to impact. It's incredibly, incredibly rewarding. So if you're thinking, that's awesome, Elliot, I'd love to congratulate you in some way. I'm going to tell you how you can do it. You can hit the pause button right now. You can rate the show five stars and leave us a short review. I really set you guys up for that one, didn't I? It really, truly means the world to me. It really does. And, you know, similarly to the work we've done at EHC, this podcast makes a huge impact. And by rating the show, subscribing, sending an episode to a friend, this is exactly how it grows. And, you know, I'll thank you all in advance, but I didn't really give you much of a choice there. So let's get down to business. And today we're going to be talking about how we can increase our strength in the gym and lift weights we've never lifted before. We're going to talk about how we can improve our digestion without the use of supplementation. And finally, where we start today. Elliot, how do I overcome my body insecurities? And this is a very good question. I think it's only fair that I begin with my own experience of this and actually run you through my personal story and you know where I've come from with having body insecurities to where I find myself today. And as much as I'd love to be the most perfect human being in the world, trust me, I really would, um, I'm fully aware that I am and probably always will be a work in progress. However, I have had an interesting experience with this myself. So I might have touched on this in the past, uh, you know, when I began training in the first place and I've gone through the reasons of it. But the main, uh, like, fundamental reason that I got going in the first place was due to being insecure about my body when I was in my teens. Like, I didn't start for health reasons. I didn't start because I thought it was cool. I didn't start for any other reason other than the fact that I started it because I saw that you could change your body by going to the gym and eating in a certain way. And I wanted that, right? It was just simple logic. It was uh, you know, adding up the two together and making you three, right? And so if I'm honest, it wasn't something that kept me up at night per se. However, it was something that I was heavily aware of. Even though I was like an active kid, I was a chubby one, right? Let's be honest here. And the best memory I have to illustrate this is that I would go into the toilet cubicles in the changing room when we had PE classes to change my shirt so no one would see my body or be able to make fun of it. True story. I'd pretend I was using the bathroom, but in reality, it was just so I didn't get made fun of, basically. And the reality of this is that I wasn't bullied for it whatsoever. Like, I wasn't the most overweight kid in school by any stretch of the imagination, but there would have been, like, you know, just a couple of comments here and there, probably classified as banter more so than anything, because there was in the past, which led me to going into the cubicles, right? So 
even though I wasn't obese, neither was I subjected to like really harsh comments like some others would have been, I still felt incredibly uncomfortable. And what I admire, which is, this is quite a realization actually, about my young teenage self looking back is that I actually made the effort to find out how I was going to turn this around. Like I've never actually considered this before, but I know that I was so damn proactive with searching the internet to find a good diet. I started working out with shampoo bottles. True story, guys. Like I would double up with the shampoo bottles. I get two in my hand and I'd curl them for like 25 reps. I do tricep dips on the side of the bath, planks, press ups with my feet on the side of the bath, like proper humble beginnings, right? So long story short, I experienced this and I took action to improve it. Some people may think like, you shouldn't have had to experience this as a child. No child should have to experience bullying or these comments, et cetera, however you want to, or whatever way you want to describe it. But I actually disagree. Uh, maybe I didn't at the time, but I totally disagree. Now, I'm so grateful that I experienced this as is the reason I'm speaking to you guys today. And damn, that actually gave me chills. But that's the reality of the situation. Like I turned those comments into the best thing that's ever happened to me. And as a byproduct of those comments, I've had the privilege of helping people transform their bodies and their lives. That is powerful. But I digress. I grew in confidence as I saw my body change. So when I started taking action, I was young and not many kids my age really worked out. But I was at a point where, you know, I was doing this daily. And then eventually I became a personal trainer three to four years on. And I was acknowledged and recognized for the efforts I made with my training and nutrition and how I looked and how I changed the way my body appeared. And so that's one stage of my insecurities. The next stage came along was when I started to compete. And also debatably, as I became a personal trainer and I was one of the youngest you know, in the gym and probably one of the smallest as well, right? So, and I wouldn't necessarily say that these were big insecurities, but I would say that I was unbelievably critical of my physique. And due to the fact that I was, of course, competing, and if for those of you who don't know, I did a men's physique competition. I did two of them, in fact, about four or five years ago now. And that requires you to compare yourself to others. Like, was I big enough? Was I lean enough? Was I vascular enough? And although like, it, you know, it was a positive driver and it wasn't anyone that was criticizing my physique, but myself, it, it still caused those challenges. And it was very real, but also very motivational too. So it was kind of a bit of a double-edged sword there. And, you know, we could argue, did I get too lean at some points that it caused health challenges? The answer to that question is probably a yes. Was the photo shoot I did after I finished competing when my body wasn't ready to, to go again, but I needed to prove a point? Was that a good idea? Probably not. But I'm willing to bet it was coming from this critical nature and this underlying insecurity. So that's where we say that, you know, I look at these as largely positive because they were driving forces that helped me improve. However, they did lead to these, you know, negative consequences. And that was probably just the byproduct of how kind of in my head I was getting about my own physique and my own body, right? So, and to be fair, it wasn't just me. Like even in the past, I would have had comments like, I, I will quote someone right now, you know, if you want to have presence on the gym floor and be taken seriously as a personal trainer, you need to get bigger and you should probably take performance enhancing drugs. True story. And to be honest, at that point in my life, he probably wasn't that far from wrong, but that's not the point, right? So 
in the early stage of my career, my body was my business. I was a walking advertisement. So I was always incredibly conscious of how I appeared. And if I'm honest, I liked the progress I was making, but I could never ever say that I was happy with my physique. However, this is where the story changes. So I'm going to take you back to like 2019. I'm on holiday in Mauritius. I'm currently in a gaining phase and I'm almost at the heaviest I've ever been. So I'm like 93 to 94 kilos. And for reference, I'm about 10 kilos lighter right now. So significantly heavier. I'm having a conversation. And in that moment, I realize I don't feel to compete anymore. I'm not really fussed about it. And in the past, I was so obsessed with this and it was really revelatory, but I decided that instead I would do a photo shoot. I didn't want to compete anymore. So I was like, I'm going to do a photo shoot instead. I'll see the muscle I gained over the past couple of years and fast forward to September of 2019, we came to the day of my photo shoot. And I'll tell you what happened on the day of my photo shoot. For the first time in my entire life, I was content with my physique. Bear in mind that I'd been training for upwards of 10 years at this point. It took me 10 years of work to get to a place where I could truly say, I'm happy with how I look. Usually once I finished dieting in the past, I'd be keen to like jump straight back into a muscle gaining phase and grow more and more and more. Not this time. I was truly happy with my size. And to this day, I could always be bigger, but genuinely I'm good. And I appreciate that that was a long story, but this is the most authentic way I can answer this question. And I want you to take away three key points from this story. The first, if you are experiencing any body insecurities right now, is action. Action cures all. That's exactly what I did. And to be honest, I never really felt down about the way I looked. I was never really too, you know, like upset about it or disappointed because I was always working towards something. You know, once I understood what I needed to do, I was always pushing, pushing, pushing. And that level of action allowed me to actually feel like I was making progress and moving in the right direction. If I'd never done anything, I can imagine my body would have got worse and worse and that probably from a mental perspective would have ruined me, probably from a, both a mental and physical perspective. But I didn't come close. I've had far bigger insecurities with other aspects of myself. But I'd say my body has rarely concerned, like, rarely concerned me since those changing room days as I was always taking action thereafter. If you're putting in the work, you'll find your insecurities, they slowly melt away. The second point I want you to take away from this is that comparing myself to others made me critique my own body like 10 times worse than I would have been. I was so much harsher. And I would say that this is partly justified as I was being judged on my physique in these competitions and the judges would literally be comparing you on the stage. It's essentially like a glorified muscular beauty passion. <laughs> I actually have a funny story. I remember I had a client who asked me about this during the time I was competing, like back in 2017 or 2018. And she said, it sounds an awful lot like Crufts, you know, the dog show. And I could not stop laughing. It stays with me until this day. However, if you're on your journey, compare yourself only to the previous version of yourself. And finally, look at others for motivation. But if that turns into you comparing negatively, eradicate it and reduce your exposure as soon as you can. And the third point, and this actually comes from a recent Jordan Peterson podcast I watched and shout out to Jordan Peterson. He is like the godfather. And he was asked, how do people deal with insecurities and being self-conscious? And his answer was just incredible. I'm going to do my best to paraphrase it here. He's like, stop complaining or concerning yourself with why you're self-conscious and go act on those things that make you self-conscious until the point where you no longer have any reason to be. 
damn, that hit me hard. And it ties in with my story. Like I got to a place where my body was no longer a concern for me as I kept working until it wasn't. And another thing to add to this at this stage is I was just focusing on the process. Like I really believe that if you focus heavily on how you want to look all the time, when, you know, when you're on this health and fitness journey, like this can get you through a couple of months or years, but past the five-year mark, the eight-year mark, or even the 10-year mark, I doubt it's going to have the same pull. So there you have it. In four simple and actionable points, take action. Number one. Number two is don't compare yourself to others. Number three, keep working on these things until they are no longer insecurities. Number four, focus on the process. I hope that answers your question. I could have gone into identity and the value you place on your image, etc., but that is probably another topic for another day. All right, on to the next one, and it's something I've wanted to go through for a while now. Elliot, how do I improve my digestion without supplementation? So probiotics, psyllium husks, digestive enzymes, they all have their time in place. But just like any supplements, you should be covering your bases without any supplements before adding any in. So what's quite interesting is probably around this time last year, there was a lot of social media posts around saying like being bloated is normal, it's totally fine. And there were influencers sticking out their stomachs, probably for the likes, obviously, and creating a caption about how this was normal. But over the past couple of months, I've seen the opposite interestingly enough like there's a lot of people posting that bloating is not normal and it's a sign of a certain intolerance imbalance food sensitivity underlying condition digestive and meal hygiene issue stress etc and i have to say i agree with that i agree with the latter there and i'd say the only real time we can call bloating relatively normal would be you know after we eat a large amount of food or you know we're drinking a lot of carbonated beverages or during a monthly cycle if you're a female and i think the best way to phrase this now is that bloating Bloating is common, but probably shouldn't be classified as normal. It's the same as that dull ache in your lower back or that feeling of never feeling fully rested when you get up in the morning. Common, but we shouldn't brand this as normal. Unless it's causing you an insane amount of discomfort or pain, it's not a huge cause for concern per se, but it's definitely worth looking into. Same as that lower back pain or that feeling like you've never been like rested when you get up in the morning. So where do we begin? And I'm going to start here because I think that this is incredibly important. And actually, if this is not in check, then the rest of the things are probably not even going to help that much. Eating in a stressed state will heavily impact your digestion. And do you know what's fascinating? You, This is going to blow your mind, guys. Listen closely. You can eat the exact same meal on one day and it may digest completely fine. In fact, you can eat it at lunch. And then on another day, or if you eat this at dinner, the exact same meal that you're going to have, the biological response will be different. You may be bloated, you may have digestive troubles due to just stress alone, right? The exact same meal, the exact same makeup of nutrients and calories. You can have it four hours earlier if you're in a non-stressed state and it digests perfectly fine, but only a few hours later, because you are in a stressed state whilst eating it, you have a completely different biological response. It's crazy, right? And if we do look at this from a scientific perspective, it does actually make sense, right? If we are stressed, it's likely that our body will go into a sympathetic dominant state. As we know, that's the mechanism responsible for our fight or flight system. In order to fight or flee, our hearts need to pump faster, blood will be sent to the limbs, adrenaline may be released, and guess what's going to be suboptimal? Yep, you guessed it, your digestion. Your body 
can't be in a sympathetic state and a parasympathetic state at the same time. Our parasympathetic nervous system is also known as our rest and digest system. This system, as it says on in the name, is responsible for optimal digestion and digestion in general. If you're eating in a stressed state, you're interfering with your digestion. And this is why I wanted to start here as the food is irrelevant in this case. So Elliot, what do I do if I am stressed and I, I have to have this meal? I don't have any other time to eat. The most effective way I know of transitioning your state is through your breath, your breathing, particularly uh, diathromatic breathing, also known as belly breathing. Try take two to five minutes where you simply focus on taking a three second breath in through the nose. You take a short pause at the top, a five second breath out, either through the nose or the mouth, probably the nose is better, and a brief pause at the end and then repeat. Your heart rate is likely to reduce and for the most part, you'll genuinely feel better for it. I know I do. And you can of course have a regular breath work and meditation practice that will help you in general. But if you are stressed and you're about to eat, try to do this before a meal. And the same goes for you who are smashing food immediately after training. Training is a form of physiological stress. You want your body to be in a sympathetic state when you're training as you want that increased heart rate and the blood flowing and to the muscles and limbs, etc. However, that switch to parasympathetic Sympathetic is not going to happen immediately, especially if you're rushing back to the office after your lunchtime workout. So maybe keep the shake in your hand until you sat down and you've had a little time between your session before you go and drink it all on your commute back to work. And of course, the final aspect of this is just try to do your best to manage your stress to the best of your ability. Regular meditation or mindfulness practices, regular journaling, just regular regular sleep, regular rest, all these things that generally keep your body in a bit more of a calmer state. So we're on to the next aspect, which is food. And I have a harsh reality that most of you are just going to need to accept here. It's likely that you Yes, you listening have a mild or potentially even severe intolerance or sensitivity to a food that you really enjoy. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Here's a study to illustrate this as well. Globally, 70% of adults are deficient in intestinal lactase, the enzyme required for digestion of lactose. In these individuals, the consumption of lactose-containing milk and dairy products can lead to the development of various gastrointestinal symptoms. So let me ask you a question. Do you like milk? Cheese, pizza, ice cream, milk, chocolate. Stupid question, right? Nearly all of us do. Now consider this. You're standing in a room with 10 people. Seven, you, seven of you in that room are deficient in the enzyme responsible for digesting lactose, which is contained in abundance with all of those foods that I just mentioned. And that's just one example too. Gluten sensitivities have increased over the years. We can also look at foods that are on the FODMAP list, certain lectins, etc. There are plenty of foods that our bodies just aren't a big fan of. And two things to clarify here, actually. We're all individuals. So if you can drink milk and eat bread without any problems whatsoever, amazing. Keep doing you. If you can't, I'm sorry, but that's just life. Like I can eat bread in abundance, like without any problem at all. But if I have cheese on a pizza or a milkshake, my stomach is going to hate me. And the second thing to mention here is that food sensitivities and intolerances are different to food allergies. A food allergy can cause death in some cases. An example you're probably aware of is of course people with a nut allergy, right? So be sure not to mix these up, but long story short, you're likely to be consuming a food that your body is slightly sensitive or intolerant to. The reality is that you probably grew up eating the food that you are intolerant to or have a sensitivity to, 
you've become so accustomed to that slightly bloating feeling, that slight bloated feeling, or that small response from the food because you've eaten it for so long that you don't even realize it anymore. The biggest eye-opener for most people when they start a journey with us is that we simplify their food. Perhaps we eradicate some of the foods that they're usually eating. And let's say, you know, months down the line, they start eating them again and their body is like, hell no. They've almost like resensitized their body during that period of abstinence. And now the body realizes that that food is, it's not just, just not working for it. And it can suck. And I know accepting this for me has been really frustrating, but the best thing to do is eradicate this or at least reduce the amount of whatever it is that's causing you those issues. It's honestly the best way to ensure you're going to keep your digestion in a good place. And you may on occasion want to eat a food despite knowing the impacts. And I, I really do. I totally get this. Sometimes you just want the ice cream. Like I know we're all human. And if there's no dairy free or there's no sorbet in sight, then you, and you just have to have it. I know this can happen. And if you do, you will have to accept the consequences. And although I wouldn't encourage this, you know, it happens fairly regularly. So just be aware of what's going to happen. So now if you're thinking what suits my body and what doesn't, like I'm really not too sure. Simplifying and reducing the amount of foods you're consuming on a day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week basis is a really great idea. If you're having a different breakfast and dinner every day of the week, it's going to be really hard to tell and see what's working for you and what's not. If you're eating takeaway meals or pre-made ready meals regularly, it's also going to be challenging due to the amount of ingredients and additives and sweet etc. Like most of us on average, if you actually look at your weekly foods, like most of us, including myself, eat around 20 to 25 foods, right? And if you try and stick with these for a one to two week period, you don't sway from this too much. You cook your own food so you know exactly what's going into it. And when you do, simply make a note of how you feel after you've eaten. How does your stomach feel? Do you feel energetic or lethargic? Do you feel any bloating or flatulence, et cetera, or any other digestive discomfort? Write it down, note the trends, and then swap out the foods and keep trying until you find the culprits that cause you challenges. And my penultimate point, and now I'm starting to go through this, I wish I did one entire podcast on digestion um, as it's such a big topic. But the next point is movement. Physical activity is going to increase peristalsis, which is essentially food moving through the GI tract. And I would go into this in detail, but now I'm just really thinking about getting this whole podcast done on digestion. But long story short, if you're not doing physical activity and you're largely sedentary, your digestion will be poor. And the final one, which I really wanted to touch on, so really listen closely here, digestive and meal hygiene. This concept was introduced to me by an old coach I worked with back in early 2018. I'd never heard of this concept in the past, and if you haven't either, it's going to be eye-opening. And it's essentially the process of us improving our digestion by actually consuming our food in the manner which it's supposed to be. And it's essentially being coined as digestive hygiene. For example, like your parents probably told you when you were younger, chew your food properly, right? And they were actually onto something. A huge part of the digestive process is mechanical breakdown, AKA chewing. How often are we taking a few bites and swallowing large amounts of food because we're in a rush? How often are we eating when we're on the move? Like, or maybe even within like a five minute window that we have between meetings. 
probably quite a lot, right? In reality, food should not even really resemble food when you're done chewing it. As gross as this may sound, it should almost be liquid. And the more we break down that food in the mouth, the easier the digestive process is going to be on the way down. Not to mention that it's actually going to majorly improve satiety and actually have you feeling more satisfied from your food as well. So I guess digestive and meal hygiene is simply the art of consuming food in a manner that's optimal for digestion and satiety. It's quite a nice way to summarize actually. So where do we begin with digestive and meal hygiene? So I actually created a checklist years ago that I would send to my clients. You may have seen this checklist floating around somewhere else, maybe in some websites and books without any accreditation to myself, of course, but no comment on that. And my advice has always been to look at this list that I'm going to present to you now and ask yourself, am I ticking at least seven out of 10 of these? If the answer is no, there's work to do. And then the next step from here is to pick from this list maybe the lowest hanging fruit or the one you feel will help you the most and take action until it becomes a habit. So the list goes as follows. First one, eat all of your meals with no devices in front of you if that's a possibility. For me, I do watch YouTube videos when I eat. I do. But sometimes I will either do something where I eat for like 10 minutes without a device so I can like kind of get into the good groove of um, concentrating on my meal and then I'll, I'll do the rest with the device. It usually just allows me to be present at the beginning and then I can carry on that presence whilst I'm watching something else. Next one, take 10 deep breaths before consuming any meal. Back to bringing ourselves in that parasympathetic state, you know, take that two to five minutes or 10 breaths, you know, three seconds in, five seconds out, really, really will help. Next, aim for 20 chews or more per mouthful. 20 chews or more per mouthful. And actually count these initially. Like, don't get obsessive about it, but in the initial stages, you'll be like, wow, 20 chews is quite a lot, especially for every bite. And you'll be amazed and you'll actually realize, wait a minute, yep, this is where I've been tripping myself up. Next, put your knife and fork down between mouthfuls. That can be a really good way to just slow yourself down. You might even want to use uh, chopsticks from time to time or even try and use your left hand. That would be fun uh, for you and your partner to try on a, on a first or second date. Right, on to the next five. Move away from your workstation when you're eating. That's a really, really helpful one because of it's really important that we have separation between our workspace and our chill space or our eating space. Otherwise, all of the lines get blurred and a lot of us have noticed this during our pan this pandemic. But if we move away, then we can set the tone. We're like, oh, okay, when I sit in this seat, I'm actually not working. So I don't need to be rushing. I can be a little calmer. You know, your body might actually just naturally calm down because it knows it's not in its work environment. Right, next up is on the lines of this is try and set aside maybe 15 to 20 minutes per meal to ensure that you're not rushing. I appreciate that sometimes this isn't feasible. So maybe try and do this for one or two meals a day, especially maybe one of the bigger meals. That will really, really help. Next one, if it's possible, try not to eat on the move. If you're allocating that time, sit down and just enjoy your meal. Don't need to rush, just enjoy that meal. Next up, once you kind of sat down, you're chewing the food, kind of get really into the meal, right? Like try and feel the flavors, like try and feel the texture of the food, like really get involved in your meal. And this will create a good amount of mindfulness as well. And the next one, try expressing gratitude before your meals. This is an excellent one. Like, you know, we all 
as you know, most people in the past would express grace before a dinner. I'm sure that there are people who do, but stopping to express gratitude or say grace, whatever it might be, you take a moment to pause before you go in for the food. And that will cause a little bit of a reflection, a stop of the autopilot system, and will get you into a place where you are able to be a little bit more present with your meals. And the final one, this one isn't on the original list, but it's one that I think is a little bit more appropriate than the other one, is try and eat with someone else, you know, eat with a partner, eat with a friend, eat with someone else because you tend to eat a little bit slower. You tend to be a little bit more mindful about the way you are eating. Like you're not just eating with a fork, you are using your knife and fork, you're trying to eat small mouthfuls, etc. And the natural conversation will generally slow you down as well. So guys, go through that list and pick out two that you can apply to the next meal you have, and I'm sure it will really help. So that wraps up our digestive section today, and I really wanted to put in a digestive-related pun, but I couldn't think of one, so we're going to swiftly move on. I should just stick to analogies, right? So on to the last training question. Elliot, how do I prepare mentally for those heavy lifts that I'm going for? And I like this question a lot, as quite often we go through like how we can physically prepare, right? And like through the sleep, through the nutrition, the hydration, etc. But I think the mental preparation is highly underestimated. And it's something I'm doing a lot in my own training at the moment. And you know, most people, if you watch my Instagram stories, you probably think I look a bit crazy ahead of my big lifts. Or even if you're in the same gym, you will think I'm extremely crazy. So for example, like I might talk to myself, I may hit myself on the leg, like a big slap on the leg. Uh, weird, but true. I might shout, I'll be coaching myself in the, my mind. There's a myriad of things that I do to get myself mentally prepared for a lift. And I think it's absolutely crucial, especially if you've never lifted that amount before. If that's new territory for you, then you really need to take it seriously. And I'll, I'm going to go through how I might approach a heavy lift. I did some heavy deadlifts today, so I'm going to kind of run you through what I did. This is quite an extreme end of the spectrum, but this will give you like a full taste of how I prepare mentally for a heavy lift. So one of the most important things to start with is that I need to get myself immersed in the present moment. I want to feel the bar under my hands. I want to have full awareness of my limbs and my body. I don't want to be anywhere else other than that specific moment. A big part of this as well is eliminating or managing distractions. There's nothing worse, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing worse than going for a big lift. And when you're about to go, that timer you set on your Apple Watch, your, your wrist starts vibrating and it stops the music and it drives me nuts. Or you get a phone call maybe, like they're so frustrating. And another big aspect of this as well is actually is that you don't want to be like flicking through social media or like handling emails. Like both of these for me are personally very, very distracting. And although I do record my lifts and I post them on Instagram, usually it's once I'm done and dusted or if I have a really long rest period. The next step is really about thinking through the lift and especially the specific points in which you know that you need to focus on. So if it's for me, my squat, I'm thinking about I need to get enough depth and I know that I need to make sure that I'm not shifting any of the weight into the front of my feet. I want to shift that weight backwards. I want to get plenty of depth. If it's the overhead press, I'm thinking, okay, how can I get past my sticking point? I need to make sure I'm aggressive from the very get-go so I can get past my sticking point. If it's the bench press, it's the tempo on the downwards phase. Like know what aspects of a lift that potentially could trip you up and try and remind yourself on how you're going to overcome these. The next is kind of 
a bit more logistical, you might say, but this will throw you off mentally if you don't get it right. So this is making sure like the bench and the bar are in the right position. I wanna make sure that the bar isn't on like an uneven part of the floor and it's moving around, or if it's on the squat rack, I don't want it to be like lopsided in every any way, but it really will throw you off if you go to unrack and it's not in the right position. So although it's logistical, it will throw you off mentally. The next for myself personally, is really about hyping myself up. And I know that many people will have very different ways of doing this. So I will generally use specific songs that help hype me up. And I kind of create these neuro associations because I will not listen to these songs any other time that I'm than if I'm doing a really heavy lift. So as soon as I hear the first beat of that song, I might start to get goosebumps because I know what's coming up next. So really save those songs. If they're big, uh, you know, if, if you know that they hype you up, save those. Don't listen to them any other time than when you're going for those big lifts, you know, and then I'm going to talk to myself a little bit, like whether it's positive talk or it's demanding talk, it like, it really depends on the day and, you know, the lift actually, but it tends to help me change my state. And that's the big thing. Like at this point, I'm so in the zone that, like I said, I will often get goosebumps or chills just by talking to myself or just by knowing what's coming next. And like I said, I might slap my leg or the bar or the plate, etc., which just kind of helps you get into that zone and change the state even more. I'm not encouraging you guys to do this. I'm just kind of emphasizing the level of focus and the level of state change that you might want to get into if you are going to lift really, really heavy. And I'll be honest, like I can be quite an aggressive lifter. Like I channel it very well into my lifts. Like outside of the gym, I'm a ray of sunshine, <laughs> but during a heavy set, I get so zoned in. And then I simply wait until I'm focused enough or I wait for that part of the song that I plan to lift for. And then I go for it. If it's a longer set, maybe like a set of five or eight or something like that, where I actually need to keep control and it's just not like a one rep max, I'll often like mentally coach myself like through the set. And I'll also tell myself things that I need to hear, whether it's more control in the bottom position, more speed on the way up, or even just a, like a, you've got this, right? Something along those lines is, and I'll do this as much as is needed, but it does tend to be fairly intuitive. And it may sound like you might need a coach to do this, but to be honest, like I'd say that most people with just a little bit of experience will be able to do this very, very effectively. So if I summarize this into a few key points, First, get as present as you possibly can be and eliminate your distractions. Number two, think about the parts of the lift that you specifically need to focus on. Any areas that might trip you up or anything you need to do to make that lift optimal. Next is making sure that the position of the bar or the bench is optimal, right? Don't let that throw you off. Next is utilize your hype up music, utilize your self-talk, or even maybe some physical sensations. Just don't go slapping anyone else. Next, take your time and wait until you're ready. There is no rush at all. And finally, coach yourself during the set. Think of the things that you need to hear to get you through that lift. And with all of that, hopefully you lift as heavy as you possibly can. Well, that was quite an episode. It was a fun one, and I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. It was a little bit longer than usual, too. So if you did, you know what to do. Share it on social media or with a friend, family member, or even a colleague who you think might need to hear it. But that is everything from me today, guys. Thank you, as always, for listening. Take care, and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. 
To reach out to me on social media, you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.